You know, being a father is one of those things that, of course, are challenging. And just as we talked about being a mom on Mother's Day, I wanted to focus a little bit on on being a dad, but we're going to do that through our series in Genesis. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is vulnerability and what it means to be vulnerable. Because many times the idea of vulnerability in our time and culture is that of weakness. You know, if you're vulnerable in the arena of fighting, you know, if you've got a vulnerable spot, then it's going to cost you the fight or in any athletic competition. Oh, they're vulnerable here. They're, they're weak in this area. And it's considered that. And even in the business world, vulnerability, oh, we're vulnerable here. We don't have, you know, diversity in this aspect. And so it's usually seen as something that's weak. But vulnerability starts to show up in other areas of our lives where we also see it as weakness. And for dads, that can be very problematic. When a dad isn't vulnerable to his children or his wife, when he he puts up a wall so that no one can get inside, then vulnerability starts to become a problem because no one is allowed in to that special place, that inward place. But we do put those walls up in the area of relationships as well. And what happens is when you've been hurt by someone in the past, maybe it was a a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, family member, friend, that hurt starts to become one of your life's interpretation. And so now everyone you date has to deal with the person who dumped you because they're in your mind. And now there's mistrust that starts to creep its way into our life if we're not careful. And that happens even with church. A lot of people come to church and it's every church they go to, they put up a little caution sign because of the church that I went to before that did me wrong. And now that church becomes my platform that I interpret all churches from. And the idea of then becoming vulnerable is something we shy away from. And and as we've been looking at Jacob specifically through Genesis, we've seen just the interaction that Jacob has had with his family, with his brother and his dad and his mom specifically. And then last week, Michael did an incredible job about talking about that interaction with God when God spoke to Jacob and how he encountered him there at that rock and in that place of kind of desolation is where he met God. And what a a great topic that was. I don't know if you're here, Michael, but thank you for that message. It was wonderful. You are here, there. And so we've seen this dynamic, and Jacob has been a person who's manipulative. Jacob has been a person who's wanting to be in control. He and his mom both have this tendency. And so Jacob is someone who has not allowed himself really to be vulnerable. 
He's been someone who's been taking initiative. But last time, two weeks ago, we saw that Esau, Jacob's brother, was going to kill him as soon as his father died because he not only had taken his birthright, but he had stolen the blessing. And so we are in chapter 29, and we're going to cover a few chapters here, or try to. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to Genesis 29. If you need a copy, raise your hand and and we'll have someone run one out to you. And so Jacob now goes to his mother's father's house, Laban. And in verse... One of chapter 29, it says, Then Jacob continued on his journey and he came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from the well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, Where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is well, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Pause, camera shifts and changes. Remember, Genesis is telling us a story. And in this story, there are things we are supposed to get from it. God doesn't just tell us, here's the lesson I want you to learn. He tells a story, and we need to enter into that story and learn those lessons as if we were there. And so I picture this as a movie. Okay? Uh, Here comes Rachel. The camera pauses and turns. There's a red sunset in the background, and all you see is her silhouette walking, and it's in slow motion. Here comes Rachel. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered, water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month. And so we have the scene being set here. This story sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remember before Jacob, Isaac sent out his servant, went to Laban and got Rebekah his wife. And so here's a similar situation. And now Jacob is going there. Your flesh, my flesh, you are family. Come here and you're with me. And so the scene is set. Jacob has fled for his life. He's now with Laban. He's there. And the story continues. Verse 15, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. 
Leah had weak eyes. That might mean gentle eyes. It actually might be a nice characteristic. Okay? I mean, we think weak eyes is like, that's kind of weird, you know? Like she couldn't look at you when I was going to the side. You know what I mean? What does that mean? But it might be a term where she was actually had gentle eyes. And so Leah, she had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. A little more descriptive with Rachel there. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Levin said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Everyone say, ah. And what an incredible picture and how true that is. When you love something, how quickly that time goes compared to when you don't love something, right? It's like anyone here love gardening? What is wrong with you people? You see, I don't love gardening. To me, that's toiling. That's like forced labor. That's what they make you do in prison or something, you know? You're getting dirty and you're out in the elements, you know? To me, that's not relaxing. But to some people, my wife loves going out there and working on the flowers and she'll be out there if she could. She would love to do that. Me... That would be torturous. So is taking out the trash. So is doing the laundry. So, so are so many things, right, that become difficult for us when we have to engage in those things. Oh, I've got to wash the dishes. Oh, I've got to, you know, make the bed. Oh, I've got to do these things. But when you love doing something, oh, I get to go work out in the garden. Oh, great. Oh, this is such a wonderful time. And it just makes it so much easier. People like working out. What's wrong with you people? You want to go, you want to exercise. Oh man, I just love it. I love going to the gym. It's like, no, I have to go to the gym. Otherwise, my body looks like what it does, you know? And so, when you love something, it is so much easier to do, which is really a key to life. And... It brings to memory Jesus' words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He doesn't say obey the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. No, it's starting with love. So he loved Rachel. Seven years went like a snap. Oh man, this this was great. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. Not something you usually say to your father-in-law. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. So there's probably a lot of drinking and partying. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah... So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also 
in return for another seven years of work. Oh, man. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bila to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. See, that's what happens when you make yourself vulnerable. You get used. That's what happens when you open yourself to love. People take advantage. That's why I'm not going to trust anybody. Because of how people treat me. But is there anything similar about this story than what we read not too long ago? Chapter 27. I, I mean, think about this. You know, Laban engineered a switch. He substituted daughters. Rebecca, Laban's sister, by the way, did the same thing with Jacob and Esau, right? You go in, switch, fold him. They used the cover of darkness. Remember at that time, there are no lights, no electricity. When you went into the tent at night, it was dark. He didn't know. He'd probably been drinking a lot. And there is Leah instead of Rachel. He doesn't see it. Well, remember, Isaac was blind. He was also in darkness, could not see what was taking place. They switched the younger, I mean the older for the younger, right? And it's really the firstborn for the younger. And so he wanted the younger, but he got the firstborn instead. And there was the same kind of deception took place with Isaac and him. He deceived Jacob, Laban did. Jacob deceived Isaac. And so we see that there is this truth of getting what you deserve, getting what you sow, what you plant is what you harvest. And the deception that Jacob showed towards his own father was now the same deception that was taking place in his life. And it seems like things like that happen a lot. When you are a person of deception or a person of a certain character type, you will usually associate with people of similar character type. You know, my boys, when they were younger, no matter where they went, they got involved with the rough-and-tumble boys because that's how they were. If there were people over there reading books, they were not a part of that group. <laughs> if there were people swinging on the tree, they would be a part of that group because that's what they did. And you start associating with people of character. Not only that, you start putting your character on other people. Have you noticed that people... Don't, who don't trust people a lot, a lot of times they're not people who can be trusted. Why? Because they think everyone is like them. But Jacob was blind to this. He didn't think that Laban would be like he was, but he was indeed. And then the next verse, we're just going to touch on this one verse, but it's both tragic and beautiful. As we see in verse 30, 
Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And we hear that and we think, this is terrible. This is causing more dysfunction in another family. In verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. I just want to think about that. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled. He enabled her to conceive because conception at that point was something that you would get value from. It's how you determined your worth if you were able to have children. And God saw her condition, and so he enabled her to have life even in her condition. And we see here in this story, the character of God is being revealed. In spite of the mess of these people, in spite of the problem with Laban and Jacob, and now the the discord that it's going to cause between Rachel and Leah. Because we're going to go on and see that Leah has kid after kid after kid, and Rachel is barren. So that Rachel starts to feel this competition with her sister. And Rachel does the same thing that Sarah did with Isaac, I mean with Abraham. She says, I'll have a kid or else I'm going to die. Take my handmaiden. So now Jacob's having kids with the handmaidens. And then Leah says, oh yeah, well I've got a handmaiden too. Have kids with my handmaiden too. Okay, and so now we've got a big mess going on. But we, we start to see some changes take place in Leah, even in how she names her, her children. The first son that she names, she names them Reuben, which means see a son. It's like, now look at, I have a son, now he will love me. But he didn't. And then the next son was Simeon, which is related to the word Shama, it means heard. And her idea is because the Lord has heard me and heard that I'm unloved, I've gotten another son. Then she had Levi. And the name Levi means attached. Now my husband will be attached to me because I've had yet another son. But it's obvious that each of these attempts failed to win Jacob's heart. And then something changed in Leah's heart and her last son was named Judah, which means to praise the Lord. I have a son and there's a change that happens in her own heart as she now sees this is from God and it's no longer just about Jacob. She gave herself trying to win Jacob's love, trying to win Jacob's love, but it didn't work. And the next few chapters are just filled with this contention between the two sisters, filled with this dysfunction. And we start to see that when your home is dysfunctional, that becomes the normality of your life. Everyone yells at dinner, right? Or is that just Italians, right? Is that just how we talk? We all talk. I remember the first time I took Corrine to meet my family. It was at my grandparents' house. And man, we have this incredible food spread. It was just incredible. And, and after dinner, we got into this uh, intense debate. I mean, it, we were just like talking to each other and just kind of going at it. And to me, it was all normal. And Karina was like, what was that about? Your family, are they, they going to kill you or what? You know, no, why? what are you talking about? That's just us. 
<laughs> that was our dysfunction. And to us, it was normal. And pretty soon that becomes the normal of your life. And so we see the normal of Jacob and his mom, Rebecca, has now become, well, that's the same normal that's there with Laban and now his daughters and now Jacob is a part of this. And then there's contention between Jacob and Laban as their flocks start to compete with each other and say, okay, we'll take this and we'll take these. And we see that this contention starts to take place where it's causing problems. And so finally, Jacob says, I need to get out of here. And so he leaves. He actually leaves without Laban knowing. And then Laban finds out that Jacob took his daughters, his grandchildren, all of Jacob's flocks and left. And then Laban goes after him and they have the confrontation. And Jacob says, hey, listen, I'm just going to go back home. And they finally come to terms, but it's not a pretty time. And some 20 plus years passes while Jacob is there with Laban. He worked for 14 years just to get his wives. He stayed there another six years. It was contentious, but now he's got quite a bit developed because he's successful. And God promised him, even as Michael mentioned last time, in the dream that he had that the Lord would be with him. And that the Lord had promised to him and to his seed that he would bless them, as numerous as the stars and the sand. And so as we see this taking place, Jacob says, well, I'm out of here. But there's a problem. Esau. How long is Esau going to hold this grudge? Last time I left, he was saying he was going to kill me. What's going to happen now? And so he has to head back to Esau. And as he does this, after 20 years, we start to see a change that takes place in Jacob. And so let's go to chapter 32. See, notice how we just skipped two chapters really quick. First one, it says, Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw him, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named the place Manhim, which means two camps. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in his eyes. And so as he's making this trip, it's different than the trip he made last time. The previous trip, he went and he had vision of angels coming down. These angels were, were messengers. That's what the word means in the Hebrew. But the first vision, they were crossing this bridge between earth and heaven, mediators in a sense, messengers or meteors. But here, these angels that it talks about, these messengers, in the first verse are more like escorts. And so this vision is an indication that something is coming. 
Because now these escorts are leading the way. And as he has these messengers, and it's a strange, strange chapter, these angels of God met him. When he saw them, he recognized them. And then he sent messengers to Esau. So God has given Jacob these messengers, and Jacob is giving Esau these messengers to see if he's found favor in his eyes. And so Jacob has escaped his father-in-law, who he infuriated by leaving, but ahead of him is his brother, who he infuriated by trying to advance. Jacob sends his messengers, his own angels, so to speak, before him, literally before the face of him. And that word face shows up like 20 times in the Hebrew in this chapter. It's an important aspect. And so in verse 4, we see the words, Lord and servant, that should be inside quotation marks. To my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob. It's an unmistakable indication of him wanting to be in a servitude. There's a change here. Now he's not wanting to be over. He's coming as a servant. He's afraid. And in verse 6, he goes on. He says, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. That's not good. (laughs) Typically, 400 men is the size of a raiding party. We see that throughout 1 Samuel. And so we see Jacob's reaction. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. And then Jacob prayed. Oh God, my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper I am unworthy of all the kindness and and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I surely will make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Before he goes any further, he prays. And as he prays, he recounts to God the the things that God has told him. God, you, you said that you would prosper me. You said that I was supposed to go back. You told me this. It's not a bad thing to use God's words when you're in conversation with him. God, you said that you would not leave me, you would not forsake me. God, you said that if I would ask for wisdom that you would give to anyone who asks. God, you said, peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I to you. God, you said. And so Jacob is now turning to God and and as was said before, I I think Michael had mentioned this when he said, you know, before he talked about God, but now he was talking to God. And there's a change that has taken place in this dynamic so that now he's talking to God. Verse 13, he spent the night there 
And from that, what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200, get how much he's giving him. This is quite a bit. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. That's a lot. Well, after all, he's got 400 men too, right? I got to send enough for every. I want everyone to be happy. Maybe if they see I'm giving them enough, they won't take what I've got. They'll say, okay, yeah, you've, you've appeased us. And, and so he's trying to appease them. And he put them in care of his servants, each herd by itself. And he said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. In other words, I, I want this enormous gift to come in spurts. Maybe we can start winning him over. And so he's trying to control the situation. Send them this much, and then let's send a lot more. And then wait a little bit and send a lot more so that Esau will be there and he's getting, ah, cool, we got this. Hey, we got more. Hey, we got more. Okay, and the whole idea is to soften the blow. He's trying to butter him up, so to speak. Don't kill me. Look it, I'm helping you. He instructed, verse 17, one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, Who do you belong to and where are you going? And who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau. And he is coming behind us. He's coming. This is for him. Just wanting to know how he thinks of you. He's your servant. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same things to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say... Your servant Jacob is coming behind us. Be sure to say, your servant. I want him to know I'm his servant. I don't want him to kill me. I will pacify him with these things and I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. And now the end of this chapter is kind of spooky. But I think it's kind of cool. Because spooky is always kind of cool, right? But it's kind of strange. Verse 22, That night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Verse 24, So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. Kind of like a vampire thing or something, right? I got to leave. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Or more accurately, it would be, who are you? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you want to know my name? In other words, he's saying, who are you? And he says, why do you want to know who I am? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. 
The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. What? (laughs) What is going on here? Jacob is by himself and now he's wrestling with the man that Jacob claims to be God. And it's a strange wrestling match. We, We don't know exactly what it looks like, but it seems as if Jacob could not be overpowered, and so something had happened to cripple Jacob so that he could be overpowered. And when he was crippled, he wouldn't let go. And when he wouldn't let go, he was asked, Who are you? Jacob. I'm Jacob. I said, No, it's time for a change. You're no longer going to be Jacob. It's time that you change. Jacob will have to deal with God before he can resolve to deal with Esau. What Jacob has to work out isn't just what's taking place with Esau. What Jacob really needs to work out is what's happening with Jacob. And what God is doing is forcing Jacob to deal with himself. You deceiving, conniving man. You need to change. Where has it gotten you? Where are you now. I'm running from my father-in-law because of contention. I'm heading to my brother facing contention and this is who I am. And God says, we need to talk. We need to deal with this. Jacob's whole life had been defined by conflict. And Whoever names us defines us. He was named Jacob. His mother defined him by the character traits that she implanted. And now God is wanting to rename him and redefine him. Whoever names you defines you. Who is naming you? Is it someone from your past? Is it a parent who said you are useless? Is it a teacher? who said, you'll never amount to anything. Have they defined you? Have you been living under that umbrella of this is what defines me? And you've allowed their name to take hold of you. And so some of us have such insecurity because we've been named by people our whole lives as not sufficient, unable to accomplish anything good. You're not going to amount to anything. And that's been our name. That's what's defined us. And we've taken that. And what we need to do is be renamed. We have to be defined by God. 
And that's exactly what God is doing here. He is giving Jacob a new name. Because whatever names stick, you're lazy, you're stupid, or you're brilliant, are the names that start to define us. You're no longer going to be Jacob. He was going to become something and someone else. Jacob, his false self, defined by his birth, defined by his home, defined by all these things. This is not the person I have created you to be. This is a false you that you're living. How many of us are living false lives? And to get to the real us, to get to a true life that is a life of wholeness, what has to happen is we need to become vulnerable to God. And we need to allow God's influence on us. We need to allow God to touch us and to break and cripple that old self so that we could live in a new life. And and fathers, let me tell you this, because I have probably learned this hard way if you will not allow your children to see you repent you are doing an incredible disservice to your kids if they cannot see you fail and get back up and admit to that failure if you can't say to your children i was wrong i i i didn't act the way i should i need forgiveness what i did was foolish. If you will not allow your children to see the true you transform, you are living a false life and you are going to carry that pride on in them. What a person needs to know more than anything else is how to be broken and how to repent. More than anything else. You will do that if you are going to grow more than you do anything else. And we don't want to look bad in front of our kids and we want them to think well of us. If you want your kid to think well of you, let them know what a real man does when he encounters his own failure and how he recovers. That is the greatest gift you can give to your children. And if you will not be broken, God will break you. And Jacob is touched, he is crippled, he is broken. He had to be, to be useful to God. And now we're seeing who he was meant to be. When Jesus said, if you want to save your soul... Whoever wishes to save his soul will lose it. Whoever loses his soul for my sake will find it. He was talk about, talking about losing that false self, that illusion of having it together and recognizing that we need to be broken to find the truth before God. And so it was a long way to get to this point, but this is the heart of this story. But Jacob's encounter with God broke him and changed him. He struggled with men and with God. His whole life had been defined by this conflict. And now it was time to surrender. 
he needed to face God. Leaving when he was at home, running away, he encountered God in a lonely place, as Michael talked about, that was named Bethel, the house of God. But returning, he names this place where he wrestled God, the face of God. He had to move from the house of God to seeing the face of God. And when we see the face of God, then we are changed. But it requires us to see ourselves as well. And so now the idea of vulnerability is something that we choose. I choose to be vulnerable to God. I choose that my children see my vulnerability. They see what a real person I am and what a real man is supposed to be, how a a real human being interacts with God because they too at one point will need to be crippled. They too will need to have their name changed. They too will have to have an encounter and move from the house of God to seeing the face of God. And my job as a dad is to show them what that looks like. But it's hard because it means I have to be vulnerable. Let's pray. Father, there is so much that makes up who we are. There are the names that define us from when we are young to when we are old. There are the people whose lives we have connected with that shape our character and the way we conduct ourselves. And Lord, there is our dynamic in relationship with you. And Father, we are here today as a result of all these things. But Lord, what we want is to be true. We want a true self to to be exposed. We want to be able to be face to face with our God, the one who made us and who made us in his image. Lord, as you've made us in your image, may we recognize the need for that true image to come out of our lives and to put aside all the broken, fragmented pieces that don't reflect you well. Lord, through this life, may may we no longer listen to the names that have defined us incorrectly. May we no longer conduct ourselves in the dysfunction that has been our homes and and our life, may we move to a place where we won't let go until you change us. And just as you ask Jacob, who are you? Lord, today you are asking us, who are you? What defines you? What, What makes... You, who you are. Lord, that's a question we need to ask. And maybe we will answer, I'm Jacob. I've been a deceiver. I've been playing a game. I've been a hypocrite. I've been acting one way my whole life. And it's time for you to define us and give us a name and say, no, your name is now Israel. Your name was now governed by 
God. You will now allow me to define you, shape you, and your future. So, Lord, we desire that. And we won't let go until you touch us. Lord, Jacob asked, who are you? And he says, why do you ask who I am? We know who you are. And Lord, as you are speaking into our hearts and our lives this morning, we know your voice and we hear your words. And and as we are praying right now, I want to give an opportunity for response. Everyone's just praying, their eyes are closed. But if you believe that the voice of the Lord is speaking to you and asking you, who are you? And that God is wanting to redefine your life. And this morning is a time where his voice has entered your soul, has echoed truth, and you want to respond. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray with you? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, you see these hands. We are wanting to be redefined by you. We are wanting your voice to be clear in our lives. We want the name that you have for us to be the name that we carry on from here. So hear our heart's prayer. Lord, we will not let go until you touch us. Lord, we will not give up until we are changed by you. We ask you change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Happy Father's Day. I hope you guys have a great rest of the day. Men, be defined by the Lord. God bless you guys. Enjoy each other's company.